Good morning, I'm Leslie Thatcher. 806 on this Wednesday. It's Valentine's Day, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. 23 degrees currently here in Old Town Park City. Looks like the snow showers have let up. We currently have uh, 26 degrees in the Heber Valley. And on the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Happy Wednesday and happy Valentine's Day to you. Mother Nature is just trying to show us a little bit of love by throwing some snow up in the mountains, maybe for some fresh turns out there for anybody going up to the mountain today. But based on what I've seen so far, it looks like for most of our mountains in northern Utah, we've seen roughly one to four inches since last night. So nothing that's too significant, but enough in the snow up there to maybe enjoy things for sure. And it definitely created some snowy and slushy conditions throughout the Wasatch back. But now that we're going to be moving into mid-morning into this afternoon, the chance for snow will gradually dwindle. And this afternoon, we'll mainly be looking at a mix of sun and clouds, partly sunny skies in Park City with a daytime high that comes in at 37. So that's about five degrees above where we should be for this time of year while Heber will see a daytime high in the low 40s. So today will be relatively quiet by this afternoon, but as quickly as we move into tonight, the chance for snow will begin to ramp up again because we have another storm system coming in from the west and the system arriving late tonight into tomorrow. We'll have a little bit more energy and a little bit more moisture along with it. So there's going to be a much better chance of seeing snow and accumulating snow at that. So as we go through tonight, roughly a 40% chance of snow showers, the overnight low dropping to 28. The daytime high tomorrow is going to be at 36, but that might be a little, a little bit misleading because the daytime high will be in the afternoon, but the bulk of the snow that we're going to find will mainly be during the first half of the day, even though scattered showers could continue in the afternoon. But tomorrow morning is based on what I've seen on the forecast models could be our most active time, which could make for a very slippery Thursday morning commute. So 100% chance of seeing some snow in Park City tomorrow, where we could see maybe on the magnitude of one to four inches across the Wasatch back with maybe places like Park City seeing maybe half a foot. So that potential can't be ruled out. While in our mountains, we could see five to 10 for the southern Wasatch Mountain, maybe locally higher than that if everything comes together. The chance for snow will go down a little bit for our Thursday night. We'll still hold on to that chance with the overnight low dropping to 22. A 50 50 chance for snow showers on Friday, but based on what I'm seeing at this point, the best chance for snow looks like it might be during the first half of the day with maybe a slight chance continuing through the afternoon. We begin the weekend on the quiet side of things with our temperatures warming up just a little bit more. Should see a daytime high. 41 on Saturday. Then as quickly as we move into the back half of the weekend into President's Day on Monday through the first half of next week, each day will bring likely a decent chance of wet weather as we're going to be entering a more active pattern. There's going to be an upper level low pressure to our southwest. It's going to continue to send moisture and energy our way. So Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday all bring probably better than a 50-50 chance of finding wet weather. But with our winds out of the southwest, daytime highs will continue to range in the upper 30s and low 40s, maybe low 40s even in Park City on President's Day and on Tuesday, which means at times you could even see some rain mixing in there in the Wasatch back, Leslie. Okay, thank you, Thomas. You're welcome. And with a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from the Utah Avalanche Center, we've got Trent. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, you know, overnight the mountains picked up uh, two to five inches of snow. Uh, this morning it's snowing in some areas. Leslie, you have any snowflakes out your window there? Oh, we did earlier, but it looks like it's kind of stopped for now. It's going to stop for now. All right. Well, winds are blowing across those upper elevations, 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts in the 20s. Um, as this storm exits, we're going to see some snow showers today, and I'm talking up in the mountains here. Um, and then it's going to turn partly cloudy, maybe a little sunshine this afternoon. Should be should be a relatively nice day. 
Um, we have another storm uh, moving in as we speak that'll uh, affect us into overnight tonight and into Thursday. Looks like the storm's going to bring, you know, maybe 7 to 14 inches of new snow uh, by the weekend, so by the end of the, the, the weekend here. Um, yesterday uh, was a fairly quiet day, which was nice uh, in the backcountry in terms of avalanches. We did have one observer note some uh, fresh uh, small wind slabs in Maybird. This is in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Um, these, these, this wind slab was oh six to twelve inches deep, maybe a hundred feet wide. Um, and then, of course, this past weekend we had several close calls. Hopefully, everybody's very aware of those by now. But um, yeah, thankfully nobody. You know, a few people were injured. Thankfully, nobody uh, was. You know, ended up worse than that. Um, there's also been 16 avalanches reported since last weekend as well to our web's, web page. So I'd encourage your listeners, go to utahavalanchecenter.org, check those out. They're actually pretty remarkable. Um, moving into our main concern today, that'll be wind-drifted snow, and that's because yesterday's prefrontal winds blew out of the southwest uh, for roughly 12 hours at fairly elevated speeds, and this drifted snow onto the lee slopes. Um, and it's definitely dotted the landscape with small, hard, and soft slabs of wind-drifted snow. That avalanche I mentioned in Maybird is the perfect example of this. These wind slabs could be 6 to 12 inches deep and up to 100 feet wide. You're going to find those mainly up on those uh, mid and upper elevation ridgelines out there. Um, and then, you know, the our second avalanche problem will continue to be our persistent weak layer. And really, just this weekend, we saw avalanches breaking 4 to 6 feet deep down into dry faceted snow down in the base of our snowpack. These avalanches were massive. They ran thousands of vertical feet downhill. And if you're caught in something like this, it's likely unsurvivable. As every day continues right now, the chance of triggering one of these avalanches is gonna keep going down. Unfortunately though, the consequence of being caught in an avalanche like this remains the same. So it's sort of a gamble out there. Personally, I'm not taking the gamble. I'm just avoiding um, you know, the most suspect areas, which would be steep, shallow, rocky terrain features. We want to just avoid those for now. Um, so in summary, the avalanche danger is moderate on mid and upper elevation slopes facing west through north through east, where it is possible to trigger one of these slab avalanches I was just talking about, four to six feet deep, um, and it's on that faceted snow. Uh, there's also a moderate avalanche danger for shallow, soft, or hard slabs of wind-drifted snow. Again, those avalanches will be 6 to 12 inches deep and roughly 100 feet wide. If you're getting out and about today, just be safe, be careful, avoid those steep, shallow areas. And um, luckily, the snow conditions, it's really nice out there. It's a plenty of soft, soft powder for everybody. So, Okay, Trent, thanks so much. Thank you. Well, stay tuned. Coming up on the local news hour this morning, we'll be checking in with the CEO of the Park City Board of Realtors, Jamie Johnson, along with Board President John Schumann and statistician Bronson Calder. Later on, Park City Mount Manager Matt Dye is previewing this week's City Council meeting. And finally, Heber Valley Chamber Public Relations Manager Jessica Turner has a look ahead at some of the events happening in the Heber area. Then stay tuned for the Mountain Life. Today's guests include Celeste Edmonds. She's Executive Director of Christmas Box International, which helps displaced children. She tells her personal story of being a garbage bag girl. Then Ginger Hall, the race director for the Crusher and the Trusher Gravel Bike Race near Beaver, talks about this race exploring a scenic and little-known Utah area, some 10,000 vertical feet. All of that coming up on The Mountain Life, and of course you can hear The Mountain Life every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10.
Camas Valley residents, landowners, and stakeholders don't think a new town west of Camas is feasible. KPCW's Connor Thomas has more from the consultants who say it could work. Over a hundred people came out to South Summit Middle School Monday night, mostly to oppose the would-be town of West Hills. It's proposed for roughly 3,200 acres between Hideout and Camas. Late last year, the office of the Lieutenant Governor commissioned consultants from LRB Public Finance Advisors to see if such a town could balance its budget. LRB found West Hills could raise enough taxes to survive, but only with, quote, substantial development. Those findings worry locals who don't want to see buildings or taxes go up. And LRB admits one or both may need to happen if West Hills incorporates. LRB Vice President Fred Philpott presented the findings Monday at the first public meeting about the proposed incorporation. Town sponsor Derek Anderson held seven closed-door meetings with different area landowners in the weeks prior. More than just residents within the incorporation boundaries came to the public meeting. Volunteer firefighter Clayton Corey, who lives in Francis, pointed out West Hills Incorporation may mean valley-wide organizations like the fire department raise taxes again to keep up. As one resident put it, um, I don't in the affected area, but I have to be part of the affected area. Residents within the incorporation raised their own tax concerns, too. Democrat Alley resident Margie Christensen says if the town issues bonds to pay for the cost of due infrastructure and then disbands, the residents will still be saddled with paying back those bonds. It's not unheard of to undo incorporation. Cedar Highlands in Iron County dissolved in 2020, two years after incorporating, due to a lack of commercial development. West Hills would also depend on commercial taxes. The sponsor, Anderson, a real estate attorney who owns about 70 acres in West Hills, provided LRB with build-out estimates. He told KPCW they don't reflect a development plan. Anderson says he relied on, quote, financial experts to analyze the viability of different mixtures of residential and commercial in West Hills. The consultants found the mixture Anderson ultimately submitted would be viable. Some residents complained Monday it seemed like a conflict of interest. For the incorporation process to continue, the numbers had to show West Hills could self-sustain. Anderson told KPCW state law, quote, essentially requires collaboration among consultant sponsors and the lieutenant governor to create an accurate feasibility study. However, Camas City Council member and Eastern Summit County Planning Commissioner David Darcy says these consultants have been wrong before. Specifically in 2018, LRB projected South Summit School District would have nearly 600 more students now in 2024. It's actually down by 61 students. Before LRB released the final draft of the feasibility study, it had to send a draft to Anderson, the Lieutenant Governor's Office, Summit County, and other local service providers. Similar to Darcy, Summit County staff thought the five-year West Hills growth projections were generous. When asked about whether LRB's predictions typically mirror what happens in reality, Philpott said LRB did not study, quote, the actual impact of incorporation post-incorporation. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. Well, the final numbers for the 2023 local real estate market are in. And in the studio, tell us how the market performed. I have the CEO of the Park City Board of Realtors, Jamie Johnson, joining us here just a minute late. The new president of the board, John Schumann, along with the president of the MLS, Ron Sicoller. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, John, maybe just start with you. I mean, how does the 2023 market compare with a, a year ago? Uh, uh, you need to get real close. There. Oh, sorry. Leslie, we're, we're moving back into a more normal market, it appears. Um, you know our sales, our sales, oh, our, sorry, our sales and our our uh, <clears throat> listings are coming more back into line with what we would call closer to a normal market if we look at the st statistics moving forward. So, what do you mean by normal market? Um, 
prices in, increasing at a more sustainable level, um, you know, somewhere in the three to five percent range. Listings staying at a at a more normal level statistically. So in the what are we, I think we were at 878 this morning. You looked at Bronson. Yeah. Uh, total listings, whereas in you know during the COVID days we were at 220. Okay, um, you know, it looks like the number, at least on the graph that I saw, a number of transactions looks like it did back in 2018 and 19. So Bronson, what, what stood out for you in 2023? You know, 2023 was an interesting market. Um, the uh, Q1 and Q2 in 2023 were uh, quite a bit slower. And uh, in Q3 and Q4, we saw a pretty significant rebound, um, and we're continuing to, to see that uh, uptrend in Q1 2024. So um, overall, like John said, uh, we're heading back into more of a balanced market where uh, in the first part of 2023, we we're, were all seeing a pretty significant downturn. Yeah, so is that typically the, the slower quarters then, the first and third, as opposed to the second, fourth? And does that just have to do when people are in town and look at stuff? You know, typically Q4 is our slowest quarter for transactions and pendant contracts. Um, and uh, so I think it was really more market conditions and we had a little bit of a hangover in Q1, Q2, and, and that market came back as, as we uh, trended into the later part of the year. Okay. So, I mean, what are some of the, the hotter areas then that you saw? I mean, we've got a ton of development happening, of course, in the uh, project area. I wouldn't say it's more, it's hotter areas, it's hotter properties. So I think the, the newer stuff is selling much more rapidly than the older, older inventory. Um, you know, uh, just for example, a lot of the stuff over at Mayflower is just kind of fl quote unquote flying off the shelves. Anything that, anything that appears to be newer is much more uh, attractive to buyers. Yeah, right. nobody wants a project. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and and any um, you know terms of just areas where we've seen prices slide a little bit. Overall, prices slid a little bit, pretty much across the market, um, and slightly. Once again, it's you know it's it's so compartmentalized. You might look at one area of Park Meadows and it's off the charts up, and the other area is down. Or Jeremy and Pinebrook, one one will be up and the other will be down. Promontories up, you know, brings the whole the whole Snyderville Basin value up. Um, so it's it's very it's very uh, important that whoever is buying or selling is using a local realtor so that they can kind of get into those little intricacies of the various neighborhoods and markets. Yeah, I also saw a chart that looked over the last 20 years and prices in the long run have appreciated almost 7% compounded. Yeah. So that's better than the stock market? Uh, is it better than the stock market? It, it, it's at least as good. Yeah. And you've got a hard asset. <laughs> yeah, right? So and I think we'll continue to see that. I mean, we, we have a finite, you know, area of building. And I guess I was surprised by that because it just feels like property taxes have gone up so much <laughs> that it feels like our houses have gone up mm -hmm. a lot more than 7% overall. I mean, I, you know, well, like it's it, dep it depends on when you bought, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I bought in 20, 2016 and my property values tripled. So, I mean, you can't, it's, it's very dependent upon that, that number and how you look at it is very dependent upon when you bought. Hmm. Okay. And I'd like to add, Leslie, that um, you know the that six kind of seven percent uh, 
trend that we saw um, is is you know over the course of the last 10 years or so um, but we had such a significant increase in in you know q4 2020 and all the way through the first quarter of 2022 that's where we saw the really big significant price increases and i think that's where people are feeling that you know when they got their tax notices that big jump yeah um well let's talk a little bit about this just the inventory i mean that has been a burden in the past several years um again we're seeing a ton of development though happening at least in the wasatch county area is that making a difference then in what you've got to offer well it absolutely makes a difference in what we have to offer and i think as you as you as the may as the what are we calling it? Deer Valley East Village. East Village. I'll, I'll get it right one of these days. Um, <clears throat> as as that gets developed, that area becomes more of a ski resort neighborhood, and I think that those properties will start appreciating as well. Hmm. And then in terms of how um, you know inventory in the rest of town, I mean, is it? It's always hard to find. I know people in Prospector. I get mailings saying mm-hmm. it's like. If you want to sell your house, call me. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have other areas like that where it's? I think the whole the whole MLS area is still pretty tight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're at, like we said, we're at 878 listings, and that's the entire Wasatch front or Wasatch back, right? That's our entire MLS. That's going into Heber and Oakley and Camas, and and that's single family residence. That's not that many properties to sell. Mm-hmm. But a lot more than like the. 200 that you had a lot more than we had during COVID yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. in the pre-COVID we were you know ranging anywhere from 12 to 1500 listings at any given time and so we're we're certainly below those levels um and what I would say is there's a lot more demand now than there was at the pre-COVID time there's just more more warm bodies more people here looking and and buying and so uh although inventory is up um it's uh it's it's still there's there's quite a bit of demand and we're we're absorbing a lot of that inventory mm-hmm. and then when you look at those 800 plus um listings um are are they all over a million bucks yeah pretty much yeah so we really don't have anything for first time homebuyer working yeah yeah <laughs> no we really class. don't yeah unfortunately we really don't hmm. yeah and we do we we have a handful but overall when you look at the averages uh our condos and townhomes in in our market area are right, right around a million dollars on average and home prices are um you know trending uh up around a million six or a million seven right now so um and then in terms of properties uh days on market what are you seeing with that you know days on market right now um i would say that we're running probably somewhere in the 90 to 100 days uh on average for days on market where uh at the height of um at, uh, at the height of the market when when things were really good we were seeing things less than a month so um we're again as john said at the the start of the interview we're we're much more back into a balanced market yep. all right um so i guess what's that what's the take home message here in terms of, of just the real estate market? In terms of the market, the market's stable and balanced, or getting getting to more stable and balanced, getting to a more normal market. We're going to see normal, more normal price appreciation. Um, I think our buyers have more, a few more choices. They're look, I think they're much more selective now. They're not, we're not in COVID where they're just buying something because they have to have it now. Um, yeah, I just think we're moving to the more, that more stable, yeah. controlled market. All right, and Bronson, do you have any kind of thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, ultimately the interest rate yesterday was not a good example, but the interest rate environment is, uh, you know, looking much better. Um, it seems like a lot of the people that have been on the fence or 
those folks that have been um, sticking in their existing homes with the, the low interest rate and, and don't have a lot of incentive to move as interest rates start to come down, um, that will put some uh, additional incentive in those buyers to um, to start to pull up their anchors and, and switch gears and move. And so it feels like uh, demand is certainly a little bit better, um, you know, for, for, uh, for me and my business. Uh, Q1 has been uh, Q1 has been busy, and and I think that we'll see the numbers as we continue into 2024 uh, continue to grow. So, what are those interest rates like at this point? Uh, as of yesterday, um, they were turning a little bit above six and a half for a standard conventional mortgage. Okay, which is better? Yeah, much better because they were up at over eight, right, at one point. Uh, jumbos were over eight. Mm -hmm. um, your conventional was was just below or right at eight percent. Okay, I want to bring uh, Jamie Johnson into the discussion here. You've put together another speaker series, different timing, timing hoping to get more people out for this. Yes, I um, actually reached out to Leslie and said, what would the community like? Because I know you know all. So uh, this year we're going to do it at 5.30 p.m. in the evening at the Eccles Center. The first date is March 21st. And uh, the title of the series this year is called Peace, Love, and Rock and Roll. And we are looking at how all of those things can help us in our lives. The first one being about peace, dealing with difficult people, the art of communicating with tact and professionalism. We're bringing in a national speaker from Orlando, Florida, who speaks on strategic initiatives all over the country to major corporations like Nike and Amazon. And, um, and he's coming in talking on that topic. And I think we all know people that um, we need to hear it ourselves, but we probably know people we want to bring along with us. So it's open and free to the public, March 21st, 5.30 p.m. Eccles. The other two, um, Love and Rock and Roll, tw uh, June 27th and September 26th. Again at Eccles, uh, love being self-love and care techniques and bringing in Raquel Raven, who is, um, for Leslie and I, a Leadership Park City alum with us. And uh, she is here locally or out of Salt Lake and Park City and will talk to us about things that we can do for ourselves to um, help our daily lives. And then rock and roll. We're going to announce the speaker at a later date, but kind of keeping that a surprise, but bringing in someone from the rock industry that uh, is a is a, is a a rock star. And he will talk a lot about showing up with a rock star mentality and having confidence and humility in that as well. And so uh, again, open and free to the public. One of the services that we want to offer to the community as the Realtor Trade Association, as we always talk about, is not just about selling homes and um, making money. It is about developing the community as a whole. Um, with that, we are also, again, this year through our Philanthropic Foundation, offering high school senior scholarships. And so we send out a scholarship application to all of the high schools in the Wasatch back and give out uh, around 50 a little less than $50,000 every year to high school seniors that are going off to college. And so that application process, check with your local uh, school counselor if you are interested in participating in that. And all of those scholarships are need-based scholarships. And they write an essay and we learn a little bit about the, the individual and that's how those are chosen. And then also just want to point out, obviously, as you've already heard from Bronson and John this morning, we have amazing leadership at our board. These two guys are our new presidents of our multiple listing service, Bronson being the 2024 MLS president, John being the 2024 Park City Board of Realtors president. Our um, 
realtors really truly care about this community and giving back and being a part of of everything that's going on here and so i am very blessed to work with amazing leadership and as john mentioned earlier always working with a local realtor is the way to go so make sure that if you are looking to buy or sell in the wasatch back that you're reaching out to a local professional okay jamie thanks so much along with you uh, board president john schumann and president of the mls bronson calder well, the Park City Council meets in work session Thursday, starting at 345 in the studio with a meeting preview. City Manager Matt Dias. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, Leslie. How yeah, are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. So before we get to the agenda, let's just talk quickly about the, the post on social media from uh, former KPCW News Director Michelle Dininger's concern about how City Hall and the park record edited her letter to the editor without her input, and she submitted the letter. The editor argued the letter contained incorrect information. So both she and the paper's editor asked City Hall for clarification on a couple of items in the letter. And instead of responding to her emails to the city, Clayton Scrivener with the city's PR team called the paper editor directly. So does the city have a policy not to respond to a citizen directly? All right, so I, I, th there's a lot in there. I, I don't want to have to make you repeat that. I think you're... Um, way ahead of me on the volume of information that you've collected or looked at, to be fair. Um, <clears throat> look, the city receives numerous media requests. Um, KPCW, Town Lift, Deseret News, Salt Lake Tribune. Um, and we fact-checked you know, numerous requests all day long, every day, on a variety of issues. Um, typically, though, we are not engaged in letters to the editor, commentary, um, comments on Facebook posts and otherwise. And so... You know, I'm happy to go back and talk to our communications team and try to sort of walk through that, those layers of the onion that you just mentioned, but I haven't had time yet, quite frankly. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess you, I, you did see the email that the editor had sent her saying that she was wrong and that the city had confirmed the uh, prince's lawyer's positions on compliance questions. And I guess, do you stand by then what, what the editor said in that email? Well, I guess, you know, I hope my comment isn't meant to be evasive with the follow-up question. I just, I don't have all the facts, quite frankly. Obviously, we defer to you. We defer to the media to be the arbiter of what your outlet or your organization um, decides to publish. But um, we will proactively work with KPCW, the Salt Lake Tribune, the Deseret News, Town Lift, to fact-check um, elements within your reporting and... Again, I got to weed through what occurred here, go online. I just haven't had time to since uh, this was brought up to me last night. But um, to be fair, you know, I think we're always willing to look in the rearview mirror. And uh, we have a relationship with uh, Michelle Dininger. Uh, she's a community member and she's well respected. Uh, but at the same time, we got to be a little bit careful that we're just not getting into a dispute between an individual and a news outlet or otherwise. But we will be very respectful and diligent in our look back. All right. Um, let's see. Taking a look at the agenda then for Thursday, a work session discussion on the future of the PC Mark, both the aquatics facility and a new city park community uh, center uh, design. These are the projects that are to be funded from city reserves. They did not require a publicly supported bond. The council has approved $6 million to renovate the Mark's outdoor aquatic facilities, $15 million to rebuild the city park recreation building. Um, what we last 
heard is that the pools need replacing. You fixed what you can. So are we <laughs> starting over here? We would be. It's a, it's a, thank you for asking. It's an entire overhaul. Um, working with Ken Fisher's team, you know, hearing that that lap pool is almost 30 years old. And then the leisure pool, probably 20 or so years old. And so, um, look, I've been doing this work for a while, and this is exciting. It's exciting for our organization. It's exciting for our professionals, and it's exciting for our patrons and our residents. So this is, it contemplates an entire overhaul of the lap pool and nearly doubles the leisure pool. Uh, Post-COVID in particular, the leisure pool has been really overwhelmed. Uh, we've had an incredible amount of utilization. We run lots of different types of summer camps and youth amenities through that pool. So the notion that we can um, totally overhaul our lap pool will also add some depth so we can add some diving boards, which are a frequently requested element in recreational pools, and then nearly double the size of the leisure pool and add some other elements like some better slides and water features for the younger kids and for some of the senior aquatics activities. It's a really exciting time for us. And that's the aquatics part of it. Um, part two of it is also renovating the building in City Park. Um, we've been contemplating this. I, I've been with the organization almost 10 years now. Um, for at least 10 years, if not longer. Um, it would bring the square footage up to around 15,000 square feet. Um, for your listeners that aren't aware, the municipality offers arguably one of the most highly sought after and desirable summer camps in our region and most affordable. And so currently we are limited in our capacity to less than um, uh, less than 100 people. We can nearly double that capacity through this renovation, but then have a facility that we can use throughout the year to host project open houses, allow nonprofits use, a community center. And so the notion that we can nearly double the size of this highly sought after and affordable um, summer day camp for our community and then expand uses throughout the year is really exciting. Yeah, that's like a million dollars a square foot building. Uh, it may be, but uh, to be fair, there are basketball courts and volleyball courts and other elements that will be impacted as a result of the construction, as well as the playground area. So those have been accounted for in that total cost per square footage. So it's not necessarily a million dollars per square foot. You know, we, we will have to have a conversation about what does the next basketball court look like? It's relatively undersized. Um, what do the next volleyball courts look like? That's a really fun area. If you haven't experienced those in our community during the summer, again, highly desirable, very, very busy, and really uh, creates a wonderful sense of community. So we want to invest in those assets. Yeah, so we're not going to lose those basketball courts or volleyball courts when we reconfigure the, the building footprint here. No, we're going to have to contemplate um, if they stay there or if they're moved to another location in the park. But um, again, you know, those are... If, you, if you've played in those leagues or you've been there on the weekend and been in those pickup games... Um, you know, there's some, some, some people in this community's like favorite memories of this place is meeting their neighbors, meeting their friends, and meeting them on the basketball court or on the volleyball court or at the playground, you know, pushing their kids on a swing. So um, we're very excited about this. What's the current building size? Do you know? I think it's around 6,000 square feet, okay. but that's off the top of my head. All right. Um, and now the park building wouldn't start construction until the fall of 2025. How come so long? Well, I, I think to be fair... Um, you know, we obviously, we can't do all things at the same time, so we had to prioritize a little. And the aquatics facility just kind of is a little bit easier in terms of the planning and entitlement process, as well as the construction process, believe it or not. Just the, the notion of the, the vertical construction of the building itself is just going to take longer. And so we truncated this, allowed the team a, a little bit of breathing room to be able to prioritize. But hopefully in successive years, we're bringing on you know, some incredible uplifts to our recreational assets. So the existing building is demolished, then, and you start over. That's correct. And so for, for the betterment of your listeners, 
Um, there are actually some schematics or some concepts, some just general design concepts that are in our staff report um, that kind of, you know, lend a hand to what we're looking at moving forward. Yeah, and um, I did look at those and it looked like we've got kind of a single story and then a, a part of the building where there's two stories. Why not go two stories all the way across? Well, I think that's a fine question and I, I, I think that'll be a decision that ultimately the mayor and council will make and uh, with... Uh, collaboration with professionals and staff, the Recreation Advisory Board, um, and ultimately the Planning Commission. So if people have input like that, um, we want to hear it. We, we want people to talk to us, let us know what they think, different types of uh, uses within the building or otherwise. Uh, this is all going to come out in the process. Okay, and that's what I was going to ask. I mean, besides summer camp, what else would this be used for? Well, so some of the things that we've mentioned already, um, you know, we have a council retreat coming up at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. That'd be a wonderful place to host a council retreat, but we can also work with nonprofits, provide them meeting space. We have a myriad of open houses or community meetings throughout the year. Um, and then we have other partners and stakeholders that are kind of in the intergovernmental area. Um, it could be the county who has a, a community meeting and they want to host it in Park City. And we've seen what some of those amenities that the library have created for us through the community room and otherwise. Um, one of the problems, though, is when that community room is booked, there's really not a strong alternative. And we love the nexus of proximity to the library being in the heart of town, on transit, very, very walkable. And then obviously in the summer to be able to hold a community meeting there would be a very desirable location. Okay, and then back to the pools. Um, it sounds like it could start this summer, so no pools this summer? Is that the idea? Um, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I'll be in here this summer and you'll be saying, you promised this summer. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think we have our fingers and toes crossed. We still have a planning process that we have to go through. I believe uh, the item is on the next planning commission meeting um, for review. So not this Wednesday. I think it's the following. Um, so we'll have to see. I, I think we're trying to be aggressive in our timeline. In our timeline, We know how important this pool is. So to the extent that we can minimize disruptions, that's going to be our goal. But sometimes there's just no way around it. You have this asset it's going to take nine or ten months to uh, renovate, and there's no way to prevent the disruption, but we will try. Well, talk about disruption. Now, the drawings I saw show the pools side by side, so there's really no kind of quiet area for those in the lap pool. Well, we'll be right next to the kids' area. So we want that input. I think we would love to have that type of input as Council and the Planning Commission deliberates over this. I know that our professionals in the organization, that's the exact type of input that they want to hear from members of the public. You know, I guess like you, I, I use both pools. I use the leisure pool with my children and I use the lap pool. Um, and so we want that type of input. Please email us, call your council members, and uh, feel free to show up at the meeting. We have online streaming, in-person opportunities, or you can email us ahead of time with your input. Okay. Uh, the proposed spring parking plan will get reviewed with the Main Street water line replacement project happening this summer. Will the city be offering free parking as some sort of mitigation as requested by the HPCA? Maybe. To just answer your question very directly. Um, not sure. Last year, we implemented a paid parking holiday. Um, during shoulder seasons, we knocked the rates down to, I think, about $1 an hour. So it's a relatively nominal amount. And um, the notion is that if you're not charging anything at all, typically the asset or the infrastructure um, will get abused and people end up storing cars there it becomes a parking space for long-term parking and so the professionally the parkers you know the parking professionals will tell you they always need to charge something because it's a valuable resource at the same time 
Um, most cities and towns across the country work with their legislative body, in this case, the mayor and their council, to say, hey, could we have a little parking holiday? Maybe there's a way we can um, mitigate some of the impacts of a construction or infrastructure project. And maybe it's just a nice demonstration to the locals that we care about you and we want you to come back to Main Street. We don't believe it actually drives behavior. Um, unfortunately, that $1 an hour has proven to not be a deterrent. Um, but it can be symbolic. And so I think, to be fair, it's a decision for the, the mayor and, and council to make. And um, we're sensitive to the input from HPCA that is desirable for them. You know, our parking professionals say, hey, you have to charge at least something. And so that's the reason they've knocked it down to an hour. Um, and I think either way this goes, we'll be happy to implement the policy direction of, of our mayor and council. Okay. Also a discussion with regard to the bicycle and pedestrian plan. Um, a survey asked um, respondents uh, lots of questions. And one of those was like, how would you spend a hundred dollars, almost 20% answering for trails and as opposed to kind of fixing what we have, I guess is what I, how I read that. I don't know. Is that what they're, is that how you read it? New trails? Um, I don't know if I read new trails. I guess I, I wasn't thinking about it that specifically. Mm. To, to, to wind the clock back a little here, this is an initiative that we were actually working through during COVID and it just got deprioritized. We instead chose to focus on our long range transportation plan, working with High Valley Transit to sort of divide and conquer assets. And so this was deprioritized. Um, and so I don't want to also say that just because we have this bike and pedestrian plan, we haven't been doing anything. We finished or added elements to the Olympic kind of plaza area and the McLeod Creek connections, did improvements on the rail trail, a bunch of crosswalks throughout town. We did the top of Main Street uh, capital project. So, you know, we're continuing to make meaningful walkability improvements, but... Um, this plan does sort of forecast for the community, the programs, policies, and projects moving forward. So we really want their input. And it is very useful when trying to obtain federal and state grants in particular. If we're applying for a walkability grant or a bike or pedestrian grant, and we don't have an adopted plan, uh, usually our application will go to the bottom of the pile if it's not rejected summarily. So it's very important that we get quality input for our community. We forecast our investments, and then we have this plan to use to kind of thrust up our application to move it to the top to say, hey, you can fund us. We know what we're going to do with these resources. Yeah, I think the one number one comment was that the need to separate walkers from bikers and scooters, can that possibly be done? Well, I think that's actually a really dynamic and interesting question. As you'll recall, a few years ago, we did a rail trail master plan, and that became one of the most contentious elements of community feedback. There was a proposal. We considered alternatives and concepts. One of the concepts was to widen the trail and to potentially bifurcate those uses. So you'd have walking and running and strollers and maybe, you know, kind of like, you know, exercising and on the other side you kind of had a, a high capacity lane for e-bikes and road bikes and people that are either commuting or, or really exercising and so i think because of the sanctity of the rail trail that was sort of rejected at the time as we move forward though we are seeing this become more prevalent in cities across the country where bikes and e-bikes and otherwise are becoming a real commuter pattern and can take trips off the road. And so look, things change. We may need to reconsider or widen in certain areas and consider different types of technology or infrastructure that allow these uses. I don't wanna get ahead of myself. I know some of these are sacred and you know, have been a certain way for 30 years. 
ultimately these are going to be policy decisions, but I, I come back to we need people's input. This is where we need to hear from people if that's what they want, so then the mayor and council can make a policy decision around that. Okay, and then uh, finally I wanted to get to the discussion on the city's housing goal to produce 800 new affordable housing units by 2026. The city has 174 built, 313 under construction, 206 entitled. Was that mean just kind of vested? Is that... Yep. Yeah, okay. And then that's, so that's a total of 693. Do we have plans for the other 107? Maybe. Very direct. Maybe. Um, not sure. We have, you know, had an 800 goal. We're roughly, you know, fingers and toes crossed. We're roughly 700 of the way there that could be delivered by this deadline. But again, to wind back the clock, you know, this was a goal, a lofty goal that was set on having 15% of our workforce living in town. You know, this was well over 10 years ago in 2016. And although the goal was an actual metric and it was based upon an evaluation of the community's demographic, um, I want to say I'm not sure anyone actually thought we could ever achieve it. Um, sometimes you have to put the yard marker way ahead of you and it helps you prioritize your resources and orga organizational focus. So. I want to take a moment to thank all of the individuals, the, the, the planners, the staff, the developers, the nonprofits that helped us work towards this goal. But it's time to take stock of it again. I think you know, we're going to work really hard using the um, public-private partnerships that Council said is the preferred method to deliver or consider additional affordable housing in our community. My hope is we can achieve this and then set some type of a different goal for the community that fits our needs for today and tomorrow. Okay, so I was going to ask, is that is that it? Because, I mean, not everybody can live here, and you just talked about how all of our summer camps are full, our pools are well used. I mean, we're just kind of going to keep bigger and bigger with everything. Well, I don't, I don't know. I guess I agree with you. Not everyone can live here. I, and, and I don't mean that uh, to be pejorative or, or, or just uh, flippant either. I think it is a very difficult place to live. Um, the lack of affordability is a serious concern right, for the municipality. Hiring law enforcement officers and building inspectors and plow drivers, it's become an issue for us. We know it's an issue for uh, many of the small businesses and the large employers in town. And there's also a community element, too, of living on a street and knowing your neighbors. Um, and so we're constantly trying to balance these sometimes competing forces. I don't know what the mayor and council will design for their future housing goals, uh, but we're committed to having that conversation now. It's likely going to be an iterative process, several discussions over time. Um, but we know that they're interested in saying, you know, what we were doing before, does that still work? Is that going to meet our needs moving forward? And we have to start that process now. Okay, got to leave it there. Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks, Leslie. I appreciate it. On the phone now with an update from the Heber Valley Chamber, I have Public Relations Manager Jessica Turner. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for waiting. Hey, good morning. Not a problem. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, you too. <laughs> so let's uh, kick it off uh, with the opportunity for anyone in the Valley to meet with the Chamber's Executive Director, Dallin Kosher, and eat donuts. That happens when? Yeah, so this is a uh, fairly new bi-monthly um, event that we started last year in 2023 and we're carrying it forward into 2024 due to the success. It's the second Wednesday of every other month. So today being the second Wednesday of February, it is being held this morning. It starts at 8.30, goes for about an hour. It's pretty casual. It's donuts and coffee with our executive director and team. 
We are leaning into um, leading the, the meetings with different topics that are relevant and, and timely for our businesses and residents in our community, and then opening the floor to any attendees and all attendees to bring forth uh, their concerns, uh, pain points, areas where maybe the chamber and the economic development office can assist. Uh, this month, in particular this morning, we invited members of the Heber City Council. We had one council member that was gonna show up and, and kind of lead some of the dialogue in what Heber City is seeing at the council level um, and, and really just touch on, again, some of those hot topics and, and pain points throughout the community. Okay, this Friday and Saturday at the Wasatch County Rodeo Grounds, the hugely popular ski during event. Um, tickets still available? Yes, yes, tickets are still available. They're online. You can go to our website at goheberValley.com and click through to get those. Um, they've got a variety of different ticket options this year, everything from general admission single day to multiple day, all the way up to the um, highly uh, appreciated tailgate option. So get online, check those out. If you can only make one day, Saturday will be the big day when they go all out for, for kind of the final awards and championship rankings. But if you can make multiple days, both Friday and Saturday are phenomenal. Okay. Taking a look at early next month, that's a big deal. It's the International Biathlon World Cup, March 1st through 10th. I think the competition is actually the 8th, 9th, and 10th happening again at Soldier yeah. Hollow. Uh, it looks, it's free for spectators. I think that there, looks like the VIP tickets are sold out, but some premium seating still available? Yes, correct. This is the second World Cup that Soldier Hollow has hosted since the 2002 Winter Olympic Games, so this is a big deal. We're expecting somewhere near 275 athletes from all around the world, plus their, their coaches, training staff, support staff, um, and, then, and, and then, yeah, a lot of spectators. There's also volunteer opportunities if people are interested, and you are right, Leslie. The, the bulk of that competition will be the 8th, 9th, and 10th. So put it on the calendar, plan to come out. Um, it'll be held right there at Soldier Hollow at the Nordic Center, and this will be the first competition at the new competition building that they broke ground on last spring. So it's really exciting to get into that space and see what they've done there. All right. You've got a chamber mixer coming up uh, March 7th. Um, so tell us about this. Yes, we hold monthly chamber mixers. Those are free for anyone in the community and surrounding area. We get a chamber member that hosts that event each month. We've already had the one for February. That's why we're pushing for March, uh, which, which will be our next one. It'll be held at Casago in Heber City. Food and beverage are served. It's just a great opportunity to network, meet chamber members, meet residents, meet other local business owners, um, and some of the movers and shakers in the community. Really casual. It's held from 4 to 6 p.m. so that people can pop in, pop out based on what their schedule will allow. So again, those are monthly, but check our calendar at goheberValley.com. If you can't make March, we'll have one each month. Okay, so what kind of happens at these? Yeah, it, it honestly is just an opportunity for people to do meet and greet, pass out business cards, understand uh, what's happening on an economic development level, but at a very casual, kind of a casual setting. So light beverage, light, light food um, are served. They're hosted at different businesses throughout the valley each month. Um, and, and it really is just a networking opportunity. Great. All right. Also happening next month, the annual Ask Heber Valley Community Expo. This is going to be March 16th at the Wasatch Rec Center. What happens here? Yes. Yes. So this is our second year doing this expo. The expo was an opportunity for us to showcase 
uh, a variety of different industries and businesses throughout the community. Oftentimes our, our, our lens gets focused on tourism because that's such a huge industry for the Wasatch Back and, and particularly for, for our community. But the expo really opens that up more for service industries. You know, you've got HVAC, um, carpet companies, um, food industry, just again, a variety. We're touching on several different industries throughout the Valley and really bringing awareness to residents and other local businesses that, that these entities exist and they're here to serve the residents and the other local businesses in the community. It's very casual, it's free. Um, there will be food vendors present. Uh, it, you walk through the different booths and learn about the different industries and, and companies here and what they can offer you. There will be show specials. We're doing a food drive for the local food bank. So if any attendees bring a non-perishable item, they can be entered into prize drawings that'll be happening throughout the duration of the expo. Um, and, and it's open to all. So, and, and the beauty of it being at the Wasatch Rec Center is it's very family friendly in that if you, if you bring the kiddos, they can run and play throughout the rec center while you go through the booths, they can join you. It's, it's just really great for the whole community to attend and be present at that. And there's ample parking, which is always great. <laughs> yeah. Again, that March 16th is a Saturday. Um, yes. Are you still accepting applications for vendors? Oh, we are getting almost to the point where we're full. We can fit 68 vendors with the with the space and the layout at the Wasatch Rec Center. We may have a couple more booth spaces available, but people would need to get that application in, uh, you know, this week so that we can firm that up. Okay. And then finally, you've got the upcoming Chamber Luncheon. This is the uh, State of the Valley. This is something you do every year as well. Tell us about this. Yes, it is. So we typically <clears throat> hold this in February or March. Well, we hold monthly luncheons and they all have a different uh, topic that really guides what that, that lunch is about. The State of the Valley is typically held in March. It's a great time. It's just after we, we release our annual report in early to mid-January. So we're able to gather all that data. We invite members of Heber City Council, Midway City Council, Wasatch County Council, Wasatch County School District, which is important with the new high school and the new MTech college that's coming on in 25 and, and, and 26. Um, we've got a lot happening in the Valley and this luncheon is the place to find out about all of it and get your answers to your questions. So there'll be some open Q&A opportunity after presentations. Lunch starts at 12 p.m. sharp. It's at Wasatch UVU. It's, it's really quite affordable. For chamber members, it's 15. It's a little bit more for non-members and day of, you know, we, we do charge a little bit more so that we can try and plan in advance, but day of it's $20 for that lunch. Um, it goes about 90 minutes, so plan from noon to about 1.30, and it will be held on March 19th. Okay. You can register online at goheberValley.com. Okay, that's a Tuesday. Anything else, Jessica, you want to mention? Probably, but it's all on our okay. website. Okay. <laughs> We've got lots happening this year. So. You sure do. Okay, Jessica, thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Jessica Turner, again, is the Public Relations Manager from the Heber Valley Chamber. You're listening to the Local News Hour here on KPCW.